Hello everyone, welcome once more to the Golden Talkies podcast. My name is Jamie and I am joined as always by my co-host Duncan. Your coaster Duncan. (laughs) My co-host Duncan, I'm establishing superiority on this podcast. That's fine, I do often put your name first in the descriptions. Wow. Not always. You really shouldn't do that. Well, I I mix it up, I mix it up. Um, Good, good. Jamie, we're now available on Spotify. Yes. Currently. Listen um, there, we'd get no money from it. We're on Spotify. We're also on Anchor FM, mm-hmm. uh, and we will be on what's the guy's thing called? Um, none of these people are sponsoring us, obviously. But uh, uh, what's the other thing? Um, oh fuck, he's he sent it ages ago. Um, God, this is getting embarrassing because because uh, yeah, Duncan. Um, uh, uh, Duncan takes care of. Oh this God, stuff. this is horrific. Know. So, um, wow. Oh and he sent oh he's not even he didn't even send it to me. It's in his he posted it on Facebook. I'm going to his Facebook now. It's coming up. It's coming right wow. up, guys. Don't you worry. Wow. We're coming up. Happy scribe. There we go. Um yeah, I think we we're gonna be on that. He said he'd he'd get us on that. Um That's very nice of him. Alongside such such podcasts as the Joe Rogan Experience and the Ben Shapiro show. There's what esteemed company. Uh, <laughs> no, no, there's um I mean there's all sorts of stuff on here. And um, I believe they they transcribe the podcast. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that works because yeah, how do they get money from that? I don't know, and I can't see them sitting through 14 episodes of this and transcribing it. It must be an auto transcribe thing. Anyway, we yes. I think we're going to be on that up on that as well. And um, and we're we're up on Spotify and Anchor and Anchor automatically puts you. This does sound like a sponsorship thing. It automatically. Um, upload you to Apple Podcasts and stuff. So I think we just need to wait to get approved by the various companies. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that works. I don't know how the whole thing works. I just ain't that fun. This guy messaged me. Well, he posted on Facebook that he he was making this. He was developing this website with his his team, uh, and he was like, "Does anyone have a podcast?" And I I commented like, "Oh, I've got a podcast," and um, and that's how we've ended up here uh, on more than just YouTube. So we'll see. Who knows. Cool. This could be the big future for us, Jimmy. Do you know how many views all our episodes have currently? Uh, I'm going to get... What, in total, I'm going to guess 20. Well, we have zero on Anchor. Uh, let me check the YouTube right. channel now. Have a look. Uh, do you, while I do this, do you want to explain what the podcast is? Because um, I realize yeah, we're quite okay. far in now. Yeah, we've gone quite far. Uh, this is Golden Talkies. Every week, we try and review a film that came out 50 years ago to that week. Except that we're not doing that this week. No. Um, <laughs> There are some good films that came out uh, this week. There's uh, Wanda, uh, Barbara Logan came out, uh, a film called Wusa as well, uh, quite well reviewed. Um, neither of them I could find any legal way to get hold of easily. Right. Wanda was the only one that was kind of possible, but only with a Criterion Collection DVD that would have cost me 30 quid. So we said, we said that no, the budget no, for no. this podcast is five quid an episode. And I... I will, I, I'm happy to put it on the record and say that I said let's just take a week off, um, but we did also take a week off like two or three weeks ago, so I think Jamie so I I think you made the right call. So just quickly, before I, we say what film we're doing, we have 108 views currently on YouTube, so that's nice. it'll be interesting to see if that goes up now that we're on other platforms. Um, but anyway, this week we're right. watching Patton. Yes, I decided that the best way to make use of this time would be to go back for films that came out in 1970 before we started, before we started. So, to fill in 
the gaps. And, and that... Duncan, the reason why I chose Patton, because you were very mad at me that I chose a film that was so long. Is it because of its Uruguayan release date, Jimmy? Uh, that's close. The Uruguayan release date is next week. The 24th uh, of August. It's on Monday. The day after this episode would come out, which wouldn't fit in normally, but it's at least close. Yeah. The actual I chose it above MASH, a much shorter and probably better film, um, is because this film won the Best Picture Oscar at the 1970s Oscars. It won many oh, nice. Oscars. It won many, but it won Best Picture, and yeah. so I figured that if we're going to have a complete picture of the year, we probably should watch Patton at some point. Definitely. This seems like a good um, opportunity. And to I, do. So if we miss it another week, we'll, yeah. if there's another week, have a film, we'll probably watch MASH. I have a feeling we will be watching MASH at some point. So this, well, okay, so we're watching Patton, um, so you said it came out this year, but it actually premiered in 1969. Are you aware of that? I did not. December the 4th, 1969. But its general release okay. was in February 1970. And it came out mm. in Uruguay on the 24th of August, so we're going by the Uruguay release date. Yeah. In terms of Oscars, do, obviously. in terms of Oscars, it won Best Actor, which the main actor didn't accept. Uh, we'll talk about mm -hmm. the actors that were in it later. Uh, it won Best Picture. It won Best Director. It won Best Screenplay. Best Editing, Best Sound, and Best Art Direction. And it was also nominated yeah. for Cinematography, Visual Effects, Music, and, and Music Original Score. So, mm -hmm. Big crowd yeah. pleaser. Big crowd pleaser. Indeed. Yeah, I suppose to sort of start off my thoughts on the film, this is very much the, the idea of what... like yeah, Everyone has like a concrete idea in their film on their head of like what a good film is. Yeah. And I feel Patton is very much emblematic of what that idea was culturally in the late 60s, early 70s. It is. It's, a, it's an epic. It's a long epic. Yeah. It follows one man. Long epic, portrait of a troubled man, military background. Seems yeah. to have been a near limitless amount of money. Um, hope you like big battles and also people looking very serious. That's in true. War Jamie? Uh, yeah? Do you want the historical context before we... Jump oh yeah, sorry. I was trying to be seamless. I no, guess. it's okay. You could be seamless, but then we would we would end up awkwardly coming to, back to this. We'd start lurching back. Yes. And I feel like let's lurch back now, um, mm -hmm. and not lurch back later. So cool. Th this is a historical context, by the way, of this week, today, seventy years ago. Okay. So I was going to do when the film February. came out, but given the film came out in nineteen sixty nine, that's sort of not really in playing with it. So, can you guess which song is now in the charts, Jamie? Uh, is it somehow um, what's it way back home again? <laughs> back home by the England. I wonder if that was in the charts when uh, it, this film first came out. It, it wouldn't be surely. Um, no, it's. I listen. I, I wait, wait, wait. I, just, I over the last week I actually listened to Back Home by the England. Oh, okay, go on. First yeah. Time. Uh, it's a right proper tune. It uh, is. It's, it's just it's a football tune. It sounds do like you, most of the others. I'm glad everyone liked it. Much. Do you, do you think it's better or worse than uh, football's coming home? He's coming home. Oh, he's easily home. worse. Worse, yeah. Like, I agree. Football's coming home is actually like a, a song. Kind of song. And it yeah. Well, if it was about like I don't know, like a girlfriend who broke up with you or something, then I would be like, that's you know, that's a perfectly decent, yeah, forgettable song. <laughs> uh, back home has no existence beyond being a football champ. Being Maybe that's champ. you know, a park in its favour. It makes you it makes you um wonder why some teams are better at making music than others. Um I'm thinking of that's true? I'm thinking of the Super Bowl shuffle. Are you aware of the Super Bowl shuffle, Jimmy? I'm not aware of the Super Bowl are you, shuffle. Are you are you aware of the sex offender shuffle? No. Okay. Um 
well, the Super Bowl Shuffle was a song that was written by the Chicago Bears in 19... I, I want to say 1970-something, um, but maybe 1980-something. Um, mm-hmm. Let me see if I can find it. 1985. Um, it was released by the Chicago Bears football team, uh, and they 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 created a group called the Chicago Bears Shuffling Crew, um, and it's a really awkward video of them all shuffling around, and they're like, we are the Bears Shuffling Crew, shuffling on down, doing it for you. Uh, and then basically they're talking about how they're going to win the Super Bowl. And they did this months, months before they could have possibly won the Super Bowl. So it was a really big gamble. Uh, and then they did win the Super Bowl. So moral of the story is if there's a big championship you you should win, then you should make a song several months prior and it'll uh, encourage you to work hard. Because imagine how embarrassing it would be if you made the Super Bowl shuffle and then didn't win the Super Bowl. Can you imagine that, Jamie? Jamie? Um, Jamie's back in the room. Yeah, I fucked up. Sorry. At what point did you fuck up? Uh, you were talking about the Chicago Shuffle. It was very. I was still talking about that, but um, okay. Well, basically, um, the Chicago Bears team made the song uh, before they knew if they were possibly going to win, and then they went on to win it. Um, and oh. I was just saying how embarrassing it would be if they they failed to win after that. Mm-hmm. Right. Would be embarrassing, yes. And then, and then a few years ago, someone made a parody which was called the Sex Offender Shuffle, mm-hmm. um, which was it was like the same video, but it was with sex offenders. That sounds fun. Yeah. Anyway, where? Did, how did I get onto that? Oh, back home. We're talking about back home. We're talking mm-hmm. about the charts. What song was in the charts, Jamie? <laughs> Something was... I would have heard of. Uh, it was Lola by the Kinks. Ah, cool. That's a good song. Someone I know made a hilarious version of it that was about Corona, back when it wow. was back back. To be fair, back when it was still original to make songs about the coronavirus, and um, it was pretty funny. They were like Corona, yeah, yeah, no, Corona, Corona. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, anyway, Lola was in the charts. Time had articles on why westerns are popular. Oh, cool. What they say? It's, it's because the good guys win, apparently. Uh, uh, you may remember, Jamie, that I don't have a time subscription, so I'm unable to read any of the articles beyond yeah. the first paragraph. Um, I hope people, maybe if people start watching this more, we'll have a budget and we can buy a time subscription. We could buy a time subscription. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. If people start watching this, we, we, I mean, you still have to monetize it, though. Um, yeah, we haven't done that. But yeah, it'd be nice to get some listeners. Um, the U.S. Marines had set up a camp for minority youths. Um, not in that way. I realise that sounds. Yeah, I, uh, I, I presume you mean training camp. There's a missing. Um, no, like a, an adventure camp, like a summer oh. camp. Um, oh yeah, one of those. So it was a summer camp, and it was um, for people from like troubled areas, um, generally minorities, uh, and and they got to go fishing and hiking and stuff. Uh, but it was led by Marines. Um, I like to think that it was that it would have been um, a sort of nice way to get back to the community, but I have a sneaking suspicion it's a sort of recruitment strategy to get get them early. Oh um, yeah, definitely. yeah. Anyway, I find that interesting. That's a war film, and there was also a war thing. There was also an article about the end of World War Two, but again, I could only read the first uh, the, <laughs> the first paragraph, which seemed to be about the Beautiful. Cold War. So I'm not sure exactly how that linked on. Anyway. That was interesting. Something else that was mm-hmm. interesting is Life magazine yeah. had an article 
about how Charles Manson's like women, I guess, or his his cult people were still waiting on the ranch for him to return, even though he was in jail on trial for killing Sharon Tate and others. So that's interesting, right? Yeah, sorry, I, I was getting the timeline confused. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because I don't think we've talked about Charles Manson. Oh, we did, because we talked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, we did, yeah, sorry. I mm-hmm. forget, like... <clears throat> you forget uh, where we are. No, well, I was, lo- I was like, looking through um, films released in the 70s that were great, and then it was like, oh... Chinatown was released in 1974, I want to say. Right. Uh, and then I was like, oh, like, I forgot that the reason Roman Polanski fled Hollywood. I got the two horrible things involving Roman Polanski mixed up in my head. Uh, the chronology. Right. Um, but, you know. When When did he, when did the second horrible thing happen? Uh, I don't know the exact date. Sometime in the mid-70s, it must be. Oh, Jack Nicholson's in Chinatown. I've not seen Chinatown. Talking about Jack... Talking about Jack, did you know that Jack Black has a YouTube channel where he plays video games? Yes, I've known about it for years. I've shown you it on multiple occasions. Well, I, I mean, I knew about it, but I was reminded about it uh, yesterday when he uploaded a video of him shaving off his beard. Um, mm. And then I found a delightful video where he was with Tony Hawk, and it was just a cool video. Um, oh, yeah. And it uh, had, t- Hmm? I was going to say Tony Hawk's uh, Pro Skater 1 and 2 Remastered is coming out two weeks from now. I think. This this I video it's... was the first ever announcement of that, Jamie. Ah, it's cool. interesting you bring that up. Um, so, yeah, it was it was with Tony Hawk, and then Tony Hawk says to Jack Black, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but... And obviously he is supposed to tell him this, because then they yeah, can yeah. play it a bit, and he's like, but we're uh, remastering Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, and Jack Black's like, yo, that's so cool. And then they go and they play the remastered one, Jack Black and his kids... And then he goes skating, and there's 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 Tony Hawk's there, and Rodney Mullins there, and Eric Coulson's there, and all these like classic, you know, like the most famous skaters ever, all just skating about. Mm-hmm. And Jack Black's on a skateboard, and it was epic. And cool. I I totally forgotten he had a YouTube channel, and it was it was cool. He uh, just seems like a cool dude. Yeah. Did you ever play the first any of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater games? No, I was a, a skate free guy. Uh do you think yeah. you play the new ones or the new old ones, the old new ones? Uh, probably not. I I did. I lie. Aww. I did actually play one of them. I played one of them on PC, and it was definitely one of the worst ones. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater HD. I played, um, which is famously bad. However, the um, the play style is still the same as the old ones, and I much prefer the the flick stick of skate. Um, you play with like you flick the sticks as the board would flick instead of, mm. um, instead of pressing buttons, which Tony Hawk's all about. So I don't think I will. I'll, I'll wait for Skate Four to come out. And also, yeah. there's um, Skater XL and and uh, Session are both out now. So yeah. there's other. Games I have out. a sneaking suspicion they timed the announcement of Skate Four to coincide with uh, Pro Skater. I feel it's too much of a coincidence. With, with Skater XL. No, with uh, Tony Hawk's first. Oh, game. Tony Hawk's first here. I feel like I, just I after think... such a gap, I feel it's a weird coincidence that the two biggest skateboarding franchises are simultaneously well, making their return. I think it's because of Skater XL and Session because they are both very similar games that came out in early access like two years ago, and they're both they were both getting a full release this year, and at the same time, the two major companies that have been out for it for a good few years now have announced new ones. So I mm. think they're realizing that the market's there, and they're they're not yeah. wanting new people to muscle in their territory. 
So okay. we'll see. As long as skateboard's good, I'll be happy. If it's rushed and bad, I'll be very upset because um, it could be awesome. Check in in three months. People. Who knows? It, apparently, it's very, very far away, Skate 4. All right. Um, Check in in two so, years. Yeah. Whereas um, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 remastered coming out soon. Should we talk about Patton's 1970 4. film? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I like our tangents, but we can start talking about Patton. I, I do as well. I've, I, that's in the description um, of that's our... That's true. Other thing I yes. put that it's a tangent filled podcast. I saw, I think so I decided to. We should live up to the name. But we should do. However, I do think it's probably now time, um, given we've yes, been we, recording. We usually go f- 15 to 20 minutes before we start talking about the actual thing. I know. Um, hopefully, no one's hopefully no one's clicked on this as our first new episode uploaded, um, expecting a deep analysis on pattern and nothing else. Because uh, if so, yeah. we failed. Okay. Pattern. Right. Uh, general Patton was a World War Two general. He's That's right. For the United States of America. That's correct. General Patton was a four-star general. Three-star general. Second best type. Was well, he? in reality, he was a three-star general in this film. He's a four-star general. I'm pretty sure he's a three-star general in this film. He's a four-star general in this film. Well, why do all his cars and stuff have three stars in it? And it's well, he gets, he gets promoted in the first half hour. Does he? Yes. <laughs> Wait, no, he was a four star. He gets from. He must have got promoted in real life as well. Yeah. Well, no, uh, okay. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> okay, I was gonna keep doing the stupid voice, but you've broken me out of it. Probably for I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, this film, as we know, is released in 1970. Um, the most interesting credit on it is that it is co-written by Francis Ford Coppola. Yes. Uh, which is very interesting. I think uh, there's a lot of DNA of his future projects in it. Uh, partic- what did he make, Jamie? Well, Francis Ford Coppola is a little indie director, but he made the famous film uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's correct. Everyone's loved him ever since. Uh, a bit of a one-hit wonder. But Who's his nephew, Jamie? Oh, Nicolas Cage. I found that out today. Yeah, he's made such uh, celebrated films as... Um, an indie- Face-off. Yeah, Face Off. And what's the one with Vampire's Kiss? The one with the vampires? It's really good. I can't remember. I love Nicolas Cage, though. Um, I've well, seen... I can't even remember the name of the vampire film. I'm I've not look... seen the vampire film. I've seen oh, Face it's so Off, good. Con Air, and yet so National bad. Treasure, The Rock. No. Uh, what else have I seen? I think that's it. Oh, Kick-Ass, of course. He's in Kick-Ass. Um, vampire's Kiss, I've not seen, but that is the name of it I'm seeing now. The Frozen Ground? Yeah. That's from 2013. I saw that. Um, Snake Eyes, have I seen that? I think I've seen that. Um, he's he's awesome. Oh, I yeah, did I see I did in, see Snake Eyes. I did see Snake Eyes. Yeah, it's I fun. saw him in Wild at Heart recently. He was very good in it. He's he really plays into his personality very well. Yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't collaborated with Lynch more actually, because it seems like they seem like they'd be a very natural fit for each other, and I think it works with with David Lynch. Yeah, I think sort of leaning into that sort of over-the-top style, but with, like, very, very full-on emotional sincerity. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I wonder if, if it it would if it would be too much. Um, I wonder if you kind of just need one person like that. And yeah. I'm trying to think who David Lynch tends to collaborate with. I mean, obviously... Um, well, Kyle MacLachlan and Laura Dern. Laura Dern uh, is, um, is his main one, and she... I don't tend to think of her as being massively like that. That's so true, maybe... she's quite reserved. Actually, so is Carl quite... McLachlan. Hmm? Yeah, so maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's that 
that like fascination like i'm sure like I'm, i've seen laura dern talk about david lynch and she's like absolutely fascinated by him and he's maybe he's kind of fascinated by this other world and that kind of works together whereas maybe lynch and and cage together would just like scrape against each other too much i don't know mm, i suppose yeah anyway i'm a big nicholas cage uh dude and i didn't know that his real name was nicholas kim coppola and he was the nephew of of, of francis ford coppola i didn't know his middle name was kim well, there you go. <laughs> the name's Kim. It's pretty cool. Apparently, yeah. apparently the Coppola family is uh -huh. is a very creative lineage. Um, Who else is involved? Oh God, you're asking me this. Um, well, obviously, Sophia Sophia Coppola is is Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. Um, yeah. But oh, I've lost. I had the Wikipedia page. It was like the family tree of everyone that was in it, and there was. Like the first people that came over to America from the Italy were all, um, uh, were like pianists. Well, I thought I was, well, was going to ask because like obviously kind of a lot of Francis Ford Coppola's family are involved in the movie business, but like the obvious explanation for that is like their father slash uncle is uh, Francis Ford Coppola. So I was wondering if yeah, his uh, his any of his predecessors had sort of his father was a composer, flautist, pianist, and songwriter who okay. um it looks like who contributed music for francis francis's films but i assume was did that before it uh hmm. and his wife is described as the matriarch of the coppola family uh she's an extra in a bunch of the films um so yeah but i mean if you so if you look at his family the coppola family tree on wikipedia um, I would say at least half of the people that are in this have Wikipedia pages about how they make films or or composers or whatever. His uncle was a a, a opera conductor and composer. Uh, his dad was a composer. His brother was uh, an author and a film executive. Uh, his sister was an actress. So yeah, like the the family, the whole family is is very involved Art, artistic and and performing yeah but i the most interesting thing was, was that i for somehow i did not realize that nicholas cage was so closely related um i think i was aware that they were related but not so closely mm. interesting interesting. interesting yeah anyway Patton was a u.s army general in world war <laughs> ii uh we've established that okay the film Patton. Uh, yeah. Opens up on a very iconic shot that I didn't realize came from this film, but now I do. Uh, of General Patton against a big fucking flag. Uh, I mean, this, this flag's a real chonker. Uh, you know, you've seen big flags before, but uh, wait till you feast your peepers on this one. Um, it, one of, about two of the bars are as tall as, as a man. Mm -hmm. And there's there's God knows how many bars on the American flag. Stripes, you cretin. No, no, Jamie, I, I, I just don't respect the flag. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> That's going to get us banned. Ah, We're never going to get beautiful. sponsored now. Uh, <laughs> or is it cool nowadays to not respect the American flag? Uh, I think it's kind of cool. And, okay. You know, if you say, like, by disrespecting it, you're showing your freedom, baby. Yeah, that's right. That's true. That is flag true. Burning. It's weird that there's so many rules about the American flag, despite the fact that you know, it's a it's, uh, country. Yeah, it's a, it's all about freedom. Anyway, anyway. Um, so Patton makes a little speech here. I say little as 
you know, a grand speech. Uh, he discussed the American attitude towards war. Says, uh, you know, no bastard ever won by dying for his country. You made the other bastard die, and that's how they won. Oh, you cut out so there. on and so forth. Hassan uh, as a film. Cut out again, bro. Oh yeah, yeah. he does also. He does also say um, the U.S. has never lost the war, which was obviously true at the time, but uh, has a sting of dramatic irony given the period in which the film released. It's true. Which um, I would say that this film, to discuss Patton's purposes first, because I'm not, I don't really feel like giving a massive plot summary, though I will try my best, it's just it's a very long film. But um, yeah. as with a great many of these epics, um, Lawrence of Arabia really is the best uh, touching point. A, I've still not seen it, but I uh, have you seen? Have you God's seen it? sake! Yeah, of course I've seen Lawrence of Arabia. Well, um, I mean, don't, there's a lot of films you've not seen, Jamie. That's true, but this time I get to lord it over you, and that's a okay. rare, rare position. It is. It is. I think I've got a box, a box set of DVDs that are called like 20th Century Epics, um, yeah. and and that kind of puts me off watching them because I know that there's like ten hours of film in in that box set of free or whatever it is. Um, Lawrence of Arabia is very a very good film. I will go. Yeah, on. no, I it's I definitely want to watch it. Um, I think it'd be cool. Um, the other another epic I want to see is Ben Hur. Um, I haven't seen Ben Hur or Doctor Shivago, which I don't know if that counts as an epic. Awesome. Yeah, no, I think it does. Um, it's a more recent. I mean, right? Same director as Lawrence of Arabia. Is it? Who's it directed by? David Lean. Uh, David Lean. Who? There was someone. Was it was it someone from another week that was in Doctor Shivago or something? I can't remember. I can't recall either. <laughs> anyway, back uh, to Patton. Yes, so Patton, much like the, much like uh, Lawrence of Arabia, is about a portrait of a troubled man, of a complicated wartime leader. Uh, so I feel it would be worth uh, discussing who Patton is before we set out. Yeah. Um, so Patton is. He's a real man's man. He's very uh, blustery, very aggressive. Believes yeah. a great deal in war. He really he is the spirit of a warrior. Uh, someone calls him at some point in the film. Uh, yeah. he lives for battle. Um, he relishes it. He does. He uh, believes that he's the reincarnation of yes. Or, or not the reincarnation of a specific warrior, but that he's lived many lives of different warriors. Yes, always um, war. Um, there's a scene where he sees where he goes to the ruins of Carthage and he kneels down yeah. and he says, you know, 2,000 years ago the Romans fought uh, the Carthaginians here. I, I was there that day. I was there that day, uh, yeah. And he knows a lot of poetry and literature and stuff, but it's all based on war. Um, yes. And he knows a lot of history, but all his history is war-based. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's—he's he's, he's a very spiritual and sensitive man, but only in relation to war in a very yeah. strange and interesting way. Yeah, which uh, I think is—I mean, I think there's—I think people there are people like that. I mean, that's—it's—it's it's not really a thing nowadays. But if you look at a lot of these old cultures, there's a lot of culture around being a warrior and being a, yes. you know. That well, kind of thing. what the film, or at least characters around Patton say a lot of the time, is that he's an anachronism. He is, I think someone says, the 16th century man. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they do. So he's he's sort of the spirit of those tribal times. Uh, is yeah. Him. The tribal times of the 1600s, exactly. Uh, 1500s. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> what are countries if not tribes? It's uh, true. It's true. 
as he walks among us today. Um, I'm trying to find the words to express what sort of like default pattern is uh, in terms of like uh, he's very no nonsense. He's yeah. very friendly, but sort of in a kind of annoying way. Uh, he he's got a lot of respect for his enemy. Um, yeah, in a in a weird way where he wants he he sees the battle as honourable, so he wants to absolutely slaughter them. But then he has utmost respect for the effort that they put in and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. I, which which is something a bit different. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just trying to uh, figure out the ways to say his main deal, his his main attitude um, towards yeah. lust for battle. Shall we say, but also an expectation yeah. as men will share that lust, uh, yeah. talent for sharing it, um, but also a sort of complete lack of empathy for those who don't. Um, yes. One exactly. thing the film does, in a way, which I find quite interesting, is that um, a lot of the times it will sort of pepper in Patton's dialogue that he's doing quite terrible things, but just sort of not comment on it in a way. Um, there's like one bit where after he's conquered an Italian city where he says like, my Italian prisoners were complaining that they have latrines. I had to show them how to use a latrine. <laughs> yeah. And then like it's never commented on again, which I quite like actually. I think it's very much a film where it shows you this character and the film is, I wouldn't, doesn't do too harsh in terms of, it's a very critical film of him, but it's not. It doesn't set out to demonize him, but it doesn't set out to lionize him either, which I think is the danger of these types of films. Yeah. Uh, it tries to paint a nuanced portrait, and I think it succeeds quite well. It does quite well, definitely. Um, yeah, you, you you understand where he's coming from and, and why he makes the decisions he does, but it doesn't always suggest that's the right thing to do or yeah, yeah anything um, like that. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know, maybe just to stay at the outset that... Um, I think Patton's kind of a dick. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, good. I think that's... The the thing about this film is that I think that as an intelligent or empathetic person, one would come away from this film understanding that it's trying to paint Patton as a deeply flawed person, but one with yeah. like, unique talent or for the I, era that he was in. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've... Go on. But I also can very easily imagine that someone who I would dislike very much would walk away from this film and think, wow, isn't that Patton character great in a very completely un uncritical way? Uh, do you know yeah, I mean? I mean, I think he's presented as a dick, but one that has a make that, that, that is a dick for the right reasons. See, that's the thing. I, well, I was wondering if our opinions on this would uh, differ a bit. But um, I think he's a dick, but gets results. It's fair. Yeah, but I don't know if the film necessarily sympathizes with him. But what I was going to say, just to defend that point I made, is that do you know whose favorite film this is? Uh, no idea. Tricky Dicky, Richard Nixon himself, a wonderful. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Interesting. So just to. I thought I thought Tricky Dicky was David Cameron. <laughs> no, no. Oh, there's plenty. The Tricky Dicky lives forever. But. Uh... <laughs> Is Tricky Dicky not what that Labour guy called uh, David Cameron and he got kicked out? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is weird because Dicky is not a nickname for David. No, but it uh, is quite a funny video. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, just to reiterate my point that I, do, that I definitely think that someone could someone what could emerge from that film if someone liked Patton, but you know just a regular schlub went into that film, yeah. they could 
emerged from it not having absorbed any of the criticism at all and just gone, yeah, that film really showed how great he was. Isn't it nice how he won? Um, but I don't know. I think that's kind of nice. I think these things can be allowed to be nuanced. I don't know if you need to always make your films for the stupidest uh, audience goer. No. Um... Yeah. Mm -hmm. y yeah, you're right. I think. Y yeah, it's yeah. It, it kind of would work. You don't have to see the. You can watch the film and not get the the nuances and the the little bits, but also you can. Yeah. Well. Is that what you're saying. What I'm trying to say is that I think, obviously, we talked about this in the in on the podcast before, but also just in discourse in general that there is obviously. We can talk a lot about whether films glorify certain behavior or if they fail to condemn it a lot. And I think yeah. the film, the film walks the fine line of that. It doesn't, it doesn't super explicitly condemn Patton's behavior. Um, in that, I think, to the extent that I think, if someone was watching without paying as much too much attention, they would perhaps not realize it was being critiqued at all. But I think. Um, it is nuanced enough to hold him accountable and to not condone the behavior. I think a lesser film would go, uh, you know, when Patton, for example, uh, said that, you know, he doesn't want any cowards in his unit. Uh, yeah. When facing soldiers who have been shell-shocked and, you know, basically been mentally scarred for life, I think a lesser film would sort of side with him or at least like try to paint that in a noble light. Whereas yeah. the film genuinely does um, show that as an act of violence and complete and utter monstrous lack of empathy on his part. Yeah. Um, I think it's, uh, it's a better film for being able to take that sort of nuanced approach. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I think it could have also gone the other way completely and uh, just said that he would... Wait, so you're saying... It's, it could have, you said it could have showed that as correct... The correct thing yes. to do, and it also could have gone I the think, other way and shown it as like completely the wrong thing to do, or like it was the wrong it, thing to do. No, it does show it as the wrong thing to do, but it explain it yeah. kind of the film explains why he did it, and I feel like he could have just not explained why he did it and just been like he's a horrible no, person. Well, no, well, I think the film doesn't let him get away with his explanations for why he did it. I think it holds him accountable for them. Um, because... Yeah, but but you can you can see. The kind of man see, that he is, and you can see how in Patton's how he justifies it. You can see how he justifies it. Is that a better way of putting it? Like you can see how with Patton's belief system, there is no room for how he conceives of the world for someone to have a mental failing of any kind. He can only really understand it in very simple terms, uh, because yeah. that's ultimately how he views the world. Yeah. Um, so Where, whereas. Whereas they could have easily just not shown that and just been like, he's he's a dick. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, For no reason. Isn't it nice that films make us think? Um, it's, it, there's nothing I would like to be doing more at 11.45 on a Saturday night than yeah. thinking, Jimmy. Um, yeah, I should say... We'll come back to this when it comes up, actually, because we're probably getting a little confused, and also I had time to think of my argument. Okay. Uh, so, Patton begins in Tunisia in 1943. Patton... Oh my god, we're only there. I'm looking at the bit of paper I've got, Jimmy, and 
Uh, We're now on line three of probably about sixty, no, about a hundred things that I've written. <laughs> Baby, this is this is and the real mega sound. My third line, my, my third line is that we're now in Tunisia, nineteen forty-three. All right, uh, well, I, I I promise to God to both listeners and to you, I won't spend as long on the plot summary as I usually do. I'll just just to paint a picture. Yeah. Um. So Tunisia, nineteen forty-three. Patton takes over a command. He's very successful there. Uh, yeah. But he's very annoyed at the British general, Montgomery, who yeah. is taking a lot of the credit and not really uh, supporting him in the way that he's supposed to do. Yeah, and there's there's a bit around here where I think they say that they've they've saved an area for Montgomery to take. I might that might be later on, but I think it's I think it's during the Africa bit, and he's like, yeah. "What? That's ridiculous! This is war, and not not a glory hunting thing." And then he goes and yeah. takes the place. Um, which which so, starts his starts his rivalry with Montgomery. Yeah, I suppose um, our introduction, not our our second introduction, as or to patterns that he takes over the army base um, from whoever the prior general was. Mm-hmm. It whipped up into shape. Uh, we see patterns very very into military discipline. Um, yeah, very annoyed that people haven't been wearing their helmets, including people like the chef and uh, the doctor. And the doctor, yes, people. The doctor actually says that he can't, you know, do his job with his helmet on because he's. Yeah. Used for a stethoscope, and Patton doesn't accept that as an excuse. Uh, uh, you said you can cut. You said you can cut a hole in your helmet. Yes, for the, for the, um, yeah. and you know one of the boys in the barracks has one of those forties pinups, and he t- yeah. takes it down. He says, "This isn't a bordello." Um, so we sort of see Patton very much in love with the spirit of war, which I think is the correct phrase to use. Yeah, war as an experience, and and the importance of discipline and stuff, which is. Something that we saw in Too Late the Hero, if you remember back to episode two, mm. um, and the importance that Marcus Brody puts on discipline and following orders and stuff. And I think you see a very similar kind of character thing with, with Patton, where he views the. I mean, it is, it's, it is the sort of military view is that the reason that you do so much drill and that your uniform should be perfect is because you need to be trusted too do yes. what you're told and do what you need to do um, so that's kind of the idea that he's bringing in is that this is not a casual holiday and that you should be ready at all true, times true but I think the film is at like least that. a little critical of it given that the examples it chooses are two really impractical ones uh, with the chef and the doctor with, with, with the doctor yeah I mean um, the chef not so much uh, the chef I think makes sense um, but yeah the doctor definitely uh, is a bit impractical yeah, I think it's tr- I think it's trying to show that he's he likes the imagery of war even beyond the point of practicality or necessity. Well, this is true because he he talks about designing uniforms a couple times in the film. Yes, that's um, true. And he, his he design talks about for a uniform he... involves a solid gold football helmet. Exactly, uh, which the army said was we would get them spotted. And um, so yeah, there I think there is an element of of that that idea of the the look of war the. The, that kind of thing. Which, that kind of reminds me of Jojo Rabbit. Um, you know, the, yeah. the the guy that designs his own uniform yeah. in Jojo Rabbit, like the Nazi, the gay Nazi one. Yeah. You know? Yeah, actually, in a way, I suppose... Um, Pat- is Patton anything more than just a grown-up Jojo, except for a different side, if you know what I mean? That's true, um, actually. I um, I I mean, he's yeah. very much in love with the romance of being a soldier. I suppose uh, the thing about Patton, um, which we might as well mention now, I don't know if it really comes up, uh, is that Patton is very uninterested in politics and thus yes. almost 
completely uninterested in the actual ideology of the war he's fighting. Yeah, like, I mean, for example, for we're skipping right ahead, but right at the end, he wants to go to war with the Russians, and yes. he he says, "Oh, don't worry, I'll, I'll." I'll the, the guy says, "But we're not at war with the Russians; we, we just fought with them. We're at peace." And Montgomery says, "Don't worry, I'll I'll mobilize the Germans against them. Uh, I'll start a war in a week, and I'll make them think it was their idea." Um, which kind of shows that he's got no regard for that that idea of uh, politics and, and trying yeah, to... Yeah, well, I was about to say, Patton's only political opinion, uh, which sort of becomes prim- more prominent in the latter half of the film, is that he really hates the Russians. Yeah. Uh, presumably, you know, uh, I can't imagine Patton's a big fan of communism. Uh, I no. imagine it would have turned, um, accord with his ideology. Um, yeah. He also presented as a smart person, so I'm sure he would also realize, you know, well, the extent of the threat. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's also uh, a potential that it was it was overemphasized in the film because of the the stuff at the time. Yeah, that's true. The film came out. I mean, I'm I'm looking at his his um, his Wikipedia page right now, and there is stuff about him making aggressive statements towards Soviet Union and all that kind of stuff. So it does sound like he did hold those views. But um Yeah. You I think it is important to, to question exactly how accurate those yeah. things are. I suppose not to be a big pedant, you know, all American films are lies thing, but um one thing I did notice is that the role of the Russians in actually taking Berlin is very, very minimized in the film. Yeah. Uh, it's more of a sort of and also the Russians were there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean uh, they they are shown celebrating the yeah yeah the I win think... and and Patton's definitely not happy that they've got their first and um, mm. I th- I mean I think you could explain it as the the, the whole film is is really about the American army yeah and you don't really see many British soldiers either but yeah. it is it is true you can definitely see that the, 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 just, there's not much about the Russians taking Berlin they, they weren't in see the film the filmmakers weren't in any rush to you know mm-hmm. show the Russian contribution to the war which definitely you know, not. In the period of the time, definitely uh, not. And the other thing about Patton, as well as um, what you just said about him not liking politics, is that he also doesn't really get the media. Um, yeah. Because several times in the film, he says things that are picked up by reporters and make it into the newspaper, and that gets him a lot of bad press. Yeah. Or gets into the newsreels, which are a very nice little bit of this film, yeah. where it kind of cuts off from the the main action, which is widescreen color into the like classic little four by three black and white newsreels, which I quite like. Yeah. It is nice. Uh, it's quite nice. Um, uh, it's kinda like Citizen yeah. Kane. Of course. Uh, yeah. The only film that matters. The uh, only film with newsreels. <laughs> but yeah, um so the reason I was bringing up uh so Patton doesn't care about Allied politics in particular. So there's always yeah. this um tension between the US and the British and Patton just doesn't respect it uh, at all. Mm. Um, just sort of kind of does what he wants and is very open with the fact that he's just kind of annoyed that he's not getting yeah. to do what he wants to. Um, yeah. The Patton has a battle against what he thinks is uh, Ernst Rommel. Rommel. Uh, Who at, is shown uh, as his rival in this film. Yeah, uh, at Tunisia. Um, yeah. And he wins, uh, which is very yeah. nice for him. Uh, it turns out uh, Rommel was, you know, uh, away sick that day. He had a note from his mum. Yeah. But, so, you know, he's a bit sad about that, but, uh, you know, you still beat him, in a way. Yeah, well, the the other people are saying 
but if you beat his orders, you beat him. And Pan circles. Well, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but no, but yeah, but not really. And yeah, he clearly. I mean, he talks. He talks before this battle. He talks about how in the ideal world, um, he looks out over the desert. and He says, "In the ideal world, I would just call Rommel up, and he'd roll up in his tank over there, and I'd be in my tank over here, and we'd have a battle mano on mano, to, and that would yeah. that would decide who wins the war." Well, um, I suppose one of the slightly strange things about Patton's ideology uh, in the film is that obviously he's very into uh, you know his lust for battle and all that, but. Yeah. By the time of World War Two, generals don't actually do much fighting. Well, exactly. I mean, there's Not a point really on where the front lines. there's a point where hilariously he's talking to a guy from the RAF, and the guy said they they're talking about how um, the RAF guy says that they have air supremacy and they'll never see any German planes, and then hilariously at that exact moment, some German planes fly over and start bombing them. Yeah. And uh, Patton's response, rather than diving under the table, is to say. Well, we were t- we were discussing air supremacy, <laughs> and then he jumps yeah. out the window and starts firing at the uh, starts firing at the planes with his pistol. So mm. so clearly he he yearns for battle, and he takes any opportunity yeah. for him personally to be involved in battle, even though, as you say, he's a general, and he's not supposed to. Yeah. Be. Well, I think um, most of what he does in the film uh, is you know roll around in an army jeep and talk to people. Exactly. Uh, I, I mean, there's. You can count the amount of times in the film that he actually shoots a gun, I think, on three fingers. You can, but he also is not afraid of... I mean, he's not deliberately putting himself in battles, but he's not afraid at all. So there's... I'm thinking the bit later on where he he get, he get hears that there's some tanks that are stuck on one side of a river and are unable to cross. So he drives across the river in his jeep and then surprises them by being on the other side of the river already. And he says, yeah. come on, guys, what are you doing? Get across here. There's only three foot of water. Huh. And meanwhile, this explosion's going off around him and stuff. So I yeah. think... No, I'm not, think... I'm not saying the film portrays him as a hypocrite. I'm just saying no. that in love with an ideology that doesn't actually apply to his own era at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, that's... I think that the... Uh, yeah, I agree. The, the fact that he's getting himself in these situations is is proof that he wishes that he, that era was still yeah. around. Yeah. I, I mean, as a general, I mean, that would objectively be a bad idea. Uh, yeah, of course. Front lines, anyway. Of course. Um, but so, you know. I mean, that's what he yearns for. I guess if he wasn't a general, he probably wouldn't be in the war because he was he was six yeah. years old. Um, uh, so yeah, that that's sort of the Tunisia chapter uh, of the film in broad. Um, a couple more things that I feel ought to be brought up now. Um, general Patton visits the hospital when he's doing his first rounds and cleaning the place up. This is sort of the first time that we see he's actually kind of a shitty shitter. Uh, so Patton has a very uh, particular attitude towards military hospitals that will be more explored later. But he says uh, in this particular hospital that uh, he knows learns that a lot of the men have self-inflicted wounds. And he says that they can't be treated with the others; they have to be treated separately. Uh, and he says this with scorn. Um, and then he says that he says to the doctor in advance that no battle fatigue uh, will happen in his unit. He doesn't believe in it. Uh, yeah. It's cowardice. It's just you know, snowflake mumbo jumbo. Uh, they just need to get back out there. Um, so, yeah, I suppose uh, something that is tr- both true of both the real general pattern and the pattern in this film is that he just does not believe in uh, mental illness or psychological trauma at all. Yeah, um, which is something you see in a lot of people still nowadays. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, not a very nice man in that regard. And it's a flaw that the film will eventually take him to task for. Yeah. Um, other than that, um, 
Oh yes, um, a soldier dies during the uh, Tunisian battle. It's a sort of minor officer who you know has been in the background of most of the scenes, contributed to the word here or there. Yeah. Uh, and Patton's ver again very sensitive at his funeral. Um, he sort of speaks some poetry. He, uh, I think, he kisses him uh, as he's lowered into the casket, and you know he's yeah. genuinely sad that um, there's no wood for a coffin, and he can't have a sort of twelve gun salute. That'll give away their position. Um, yeah. There's a genuine sorrow um, for definitely yeah uh, the fallen soldier. Um, anything else from this particular bit of the film? Anything else from this uh, film? Uh, yeah, there's uh, quite a lot actually left. Uh... Yeah, there's a lot left. I just I want to do it. I was going to do it one bit at a time because the film's very conveniently yeah. divided into three major scenes. I have already jumped about a lot, but um, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Blue. Oh, Patton sleeps in his uniform, which I found quite funny. Does he? I didn't even notice that. That is pretty funny. Oh yeah, he's sleeping in his four-poster bed. Um, yeah, we talked about Patton's belief in reincarnation, obviously, and it is just important to note that he's very, very into it. Yeah. Um, truly believes it. Uh, we cut to um, a scene in the Nazi headquarters uh, where they're discussing him. And one of them calls Patton a 16th century man, which I've brought up before, and compares him to Don Quixote, uh, which I thought was a really apt comparison when I was watching the film. I was trying to figure out what he reminded me of, and it turned out that was it. Um, cool. Yeah. He really is a Don Quixote boy, but one with actual talent, which is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, True. I like Don Quixote. Good character. He's also uh, described many times as a prima donna. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. That's not... Oh wait, Prima Donna is a character actually, isn't she? That's not mm -hmm. a Prima Donna. A Prima Donna is a leading female singer in an opera company. That's right. But it's the Commedia dell'arte. So she might be a character. I don't know. Anyway, a Prima Donna is a. Uh, yeah. Sort of. He's got a flair for the. How How would you describe a Prima Donna? I don't know. Um, uh, all she ever wanted was the world. Sure, yeah. But yeah, uh, he's he he's a drama queen. Uh, is it, what I'm trying to say? Well, that doesn't really mean the same thing. I would say. Ah. <laughs> um, I mean, I think they're different things, right? A drama. I don't say. I don't think he's a drama queen. Uh, I would say prima donna means like you're very fussy and vain. Uh, yeah. But drama queen means that you make up things or make things seem grander than they are. Yeah. Yeah. I think, Which I you think don't think he does. The latter of that, I'd say, is part of a prima donna. Right. Well, anyway, he's a prima donna. He's not a drama queen. In my humble opinion. Um, uh, right. So, another thing. Um, this is the second part of this film will involve an invasion of Italy. Um, yeah. They discuss whether or not he's going to invade Sicily or Sardinia. Um, yeah. But he, but the German officer says that um, Patton will definitely invade Sicily because that's how the Athenians did it, and he's yeah. There, into military history. This is a German officer that's been assigned to research him. So yes, the, yeah. So several times in the film, it cuts to these German officers that are um, talking about their strategy and to what Patton might do in a bunker, and one of them has been assigned to research him. 
And all the officers are saying, oh, he's, they're, they're going to invade Sardinia. And then he says, no, he's a big fan of military history. The Who was it? Athenians? Yeah. I think yeah, so. invaded Sicily. So that's what he'll do. And sure enough, it then cuts to Patton saying the Athenians invaded Sicily. That's what we're going to do. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they got him. You know? They read him like a book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ike, uh, which I didn't know until this film, uh, is what they called Eisenhower. Not Eisenhower. Um, no, Eisenhower, yeah, in those yeah. days. Or any time. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Uh, has really annoyed Patton because he's letting Montgomery get the cool part of the invasion plan. Uh, yeah. Patton and... says, Ike's forgotten to put America first. Forgotten to think of it as a America, not an ally. Yeah, he thinks about it as an Allied invasion, not an American invasion, which is quite yeah, an interesting way to look at it. Disgusting. Um, the guy that plays Montgomery looks quite a lot like Montgomery. Would you say? I don't know what Montgomery looked like. Okay. Cool. Sorry, nerd. <laughs> I was too busy getting laid. Uh, <laughs> well, you were studying the army generals. I was studying yeah. the shagging. Um, well, okay. Yeah, the, the real way you can tell Patton's a dick is because he's very interested in military history, uh, which is yeah. the biggest red flag of any human being. The actor, the act, the actors look quite a lot like the people they're they're playing actually. Yeah, pretty well. Yeah, I think um, most of the actors in this film, I don't think, do a super great job, other than uh, the guy playing. Uh, Pattern, I would say. I mean, not that they're bad. It's just that they're there. Yeah, they're they're not particularly. Um, I looked up the cast, and other than Patton, they're not particularly famous. Um, yeah. the guy that played Montgomery was the prison guard in the Clockwork Orange. Um, cool. That was the most famous one I could find. So it kind of looks like they chose them. For they, the they, they 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 chose good actors, but perhaps chose ones that fitted the yeah. specific parts better and and looked like the famous people or whatever. Um, the I guy played Rommel was a German actor who 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 hasn't been anything I recognise. So, yeah. yeah. I suppose when you're talking about like uh, these films, which are very hyper focused on one character in particular, there's never going to be any meaty roles for anyone else. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, you, you just kind of or, or occasionally there might be two big people. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely um, a character piece where they've got a big actor to play that, and then and surrounded him with with others. Yeah. Yeah, other players. Yeah. Um. So. Um. Yeah. So we get our battle in Sicily. Uh, Patton completely disobeys orders. Um, just pretends to not have gotten the telegram telling him to stop moving, because Montgomery yeah. caught into trouble and Patton thinks he can overtake him. He just doesn't do what he's told to. Yeah. So he wants to take the city of Mazzino in Sicily, and then pull round the top because they're all going for Palermo which is like the main yeah. place to get and Montgomery's been stopped and um, there's another US army that's in the middle in the mountains and um, sort of moving very slowly and then Patton forces his way round up round to the left side of the, the island and, and up and then through to Palermo and ignores orders as you say to do so yeah so this yeah. kicks off the part of the film which I like because I love it when films are very mean and this part of the film is very critical towards Patton yeah. Um, so we start with our battle in Sicily. Um, the first thing that we see is um, Jimmy. Sorry, have radio silence. Yeah, never, never. What were you playing at? I was 
Uh, I was looking at my notes. Uh, Patton, uh, you know, tries to rile up his boys. He says that you know he does this because he loves it. Yeah. Um, so one thing we see is that on the bridge, um, his troops are trying to transport some cargo across, and it's been paused because there are two donkeys pulling stuff uh, on the bridge, and uh, they're like, you know, we can't go. There's two asses in the way, which you know, yeah. funny wordplay. Uh, so Patton, without missing a beat, shoots them and shoots the horse, the donkeys in cold blood. Yep. Um, and then tosses record, them off the bridge. Then, yeah, tells them to toss them off the bridge, and then yes. go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in a really quite nasty act of animal cruelty and violence. Uh, uh, we then see the actual battle, which is very uh, bloody and dramatic. A lot of explosions everywhere. Um, we see that the soldiers. Uh, there's one are beginning to get very annoyed about this in their own way. Um, one of them uh, says the nice line, our blood, his guts, uh, and that they're paying the price for his uh, hubris, as it were, or at least his uh, passion, mm. um, which I think is quite interesting. I mean, obviously, pa General Patton does a lot of incredibly reckless things throughout this film, and almost all of them uh, are at the expense of his men. Um, even his finest hour, I think, is somewhat tainted. Uh, by it in the film, although it is portrayed in a somewhat uh, positive light. Um, his finest hour being... I was going to say when he invades Berlin, but like his right. master plan for that involves what every other general thinks is a disgusting abuse of his men. Uh, yeah. Uh, True. Um, so yeah, someone brings up like how's the, well, about how's the common soldier supposed to fare, and he says he doesn't really care. Yeah. Um... Then we get to sort of the aftermath of the battle. Uh, Patton's side wins, but he sort of goes into a tent to uh, look at the injured. And, uh, you know, again, in fairness, uh, not in fairness, just, you know, um, he's says, you know, um, he goes around them very sensitively, like, listens to their injuries, says prayers for them, uh, yeah. them properly. Uh, gives one, them purple hearts. Yeah, there's one guy who's blind, uh, and Patton, you know, just whispers in his ear. Yeah. Uh, but you don't find... know what he says. Yeah, we never know what he says, but you know, that's yeah, nice. Which is kind of nice. nice. Yeah. Um, kind of nice. Then we see one guy in the corner who's very deeply shell shocked, uh, like just crying uncontrollably, mm -hmm. um, not able to get a handle on himself. And Patton is, because as we know, he doesn't believe in this uh, stuff, uh, is unbelievably outraged that uh, he's allowed to sit with the men who have got his who have got physical injuries. Mm -hmm. uh, he starts yelling at everyone. He starts yelling at the doctors, asking why he was allowed in. He calls the man a coward. Uh, he says that he should be sh he should be shot for insubordination. Yeah, uh, he says I'm going to shoot you right here. Yeah, uh, which yeah. is hypocrisy. Um, and then he slaps him uh, quite hard two times, uh, very clearly out of anger. Which I feel is an important thing to note, given what he'll say later. Yeah. Um. And so you know, CNN's scandal, uh, shock horror, as Patton has now assaulted one of his own men, uh, who has obviously suffered uh, for his sake. Yeah. Um. So this kicks off a big scandal, uh, back home. Uh. So he's. I think this is the first newsreel, isn't it? He... No, I think Maybe it's because he's a cartoon of himself, and that really annoys him. Oh, it's a cartoon. You're right. Yeah, yeah sorry. No, it's off the record as well. Uh, that's the thing. But he's lost favor quickly. Um, yeah. So he has so, to do. Yeah, so a cartoonist has drawn him kicking one of his own soldiers with a swastika in his boot, which yeah. he's, and he's only angry. About, yeah. 
Yeah, just the swastika. Yeah. That's the important thing. And and the fact that the boots are uh, made of iron, I think he's angry about it, so if I remember correctly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, he's still not... He... Hatton is... Never really admits fault in this matter. He really hates that he's being taken to task for it, but he doesn't think yeah. he was wrong. Um, yeah. And so he was forced to make a public apology to both the the soldier in question, the soldier's family, and the entire army under his command. Uh, yeah. And later that he wrote to the family that he thought their son should have been shot as his apology. Um, and then his apologies to the army is very stilted and is mostly him justifying his actions by saying that he thought that this would be this would help him gain his self-respect if he slapped him. Um, exactly. So, and then, yeah. Like, so very, I mean, it's at this point that you kind of see how you kind of see how he's um, how he kind of explains it to himself, where he's like um, he almost yeah. says he can understand why the man's a coward, but. All he needs to do is is realize what he's done and get some self respect back. And the best way to do that is to slap him. That's yeah, that's there's a very nice bit uh, with the apology. I've, I've forgotten the actor's name again, but yeah. Uh, but the way he does it is that he's like, "I'd like to offer this," and then he pauses for a very long time. And he says, "Explanation and this apology," like just absolutely hesitating to the last possible second. To actually apologize as part of this um like the vast yeah the vast majority of it is him just trying to i'm not even sure i know that he's explaining it to himself i genuinely think he's just explaining it to his men uh although it's definitely up for interpretation so i'm not gonna think that's wrong um yeah no i i do think he's explained to his men um but i think i i don't necessarily think that that's exactly how he thinks but i think it does give an insight into his sort of views on why someone might act like that. Like, I, I, I'm not saying that he genuinely thinks that by slapping that specific man, he was getting his self-respect back, but it shows that he, I think that is how he believes cowardice is. It's just that you've kind of lost some respect for yourself. And that I mean, he certainly thinks of it as a personal failing. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I think that's what you see there. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the way he frames the discussion. He doesn't consider it in any other light. Uh, even when trying to explain to himself. Um, so we find... Uh, so he's captured the city, Palermo, is it? Uh, the yep. British have got there at the same time, and he and Montgomery have a terse exchange, uh, during which there are two parades going on. They both play um, Stars and Stripes and Scotland the Brave at the exact same time, uh, which sounds horrible, as one would expect, mm -hmm. which is you know a nice little bit of a reflective yep. character dynamic. Um, yeah. Because you see that they're, they're discordant. Uh, it's quite subtle. Um, quite subtle. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, but Patton's down in the dumps. Uh, he's being... He wanted command of the armies over Europe. Uh, it was D-Day's beckoning. Uh, and he's been passed over for it in favour of his uh, immediate um, subordinate, uh, Bradley, who's not as brilliant as Patton, but, you know, uh, a good boy. He does his work on time. Yeah. So Patton's very sad. Um, he very says, sad. All, all this over one measly slap. Uh, again, not really, never really accepting the gravity of what he did. But yeah. um, regardless, feeling very sorry for himself. He is, yeah. And then we get to intermission. Yeah. Oh hey. my god. I love intermission. I like intermissions as well. Um, you don't get them in a lot of films. 
was much worse once they got rid of intermissions, frankly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they don't play a song during the intermission, though, and that's very disappointing. The, the, a song starts up towards the end of it. Um, yeah, that's just to let you know to get out of the bathroom. You're actually, you, you've put the intermission too late, by the way. Oh, have I? No, you haven't, no. Yeah, don't don't doubt my ability. <laughs> There's a different uh, speech. There's a different speech after the intermission that I confused with the speech before. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, Go on. Yeah, Go yeah, on, yeah. son. Okay, we're in Corsica now. Uh, you know, some time has passed. Uh, yeah. You know, probably a few months because you know it's only 1944. Yeah. Uh, Channel Patton is still around, baby, but he's doing unimportant stuff. Um, he continues to insist that the yellow rat should have been shot, but um, he's now got men. And the men are still loyal to him. They don't want to ride with anyone else, but he feels he's, you know, this is where he's sort of been put away for the rest of the war. He's just kind of here so he wouldn't, won't bother anyone. Yeah. He goes to talk to in an English village. Um, sorry, no, he's brought up to London for some mysterious reason. Um, mm -hmm. He thinks just to, you know, sit there um and as part of this uh i'm getting a little confused yeah as part of this uh he's told that he's going to run a decoy army during d-day um as we all know that's obviously a very important part of the plan mm -hmm. um and he sort of goes up to speak in front of this town hall of a meeting of women um i guess they'd be you know staying at home for the war, not staying at home uh, just like it's an all female audience, I assume, because you know that's the makeup of Britain. Men are fighting. Yeah, yeah, it's the men fighting the war. Uh, there's a very nice, uh, genuinely pathetic scene where uh, General Patton has a new dog, and he says he's called William the Conqueror because he's brave. And then yeah. the like tiny dog barks at it, and he whimpers, and he says, "You're a coward, the dog." Um, yeah, which I thought You're called Willie now. Both quite funny, genuinely quite sad uh, in its own way. It it's it's a really effective uh, way of sort of showing how he thinks or confirming yes. how he thinks, and it's quite it is quite funny when he's like, "You're called Willie now, <laughs> you're not William." Yeah. Uh, even when he starts like growing to like the dog, he continues to just call it Willie. Yeah. Um. But he, he talks in front of the village hall, and you know he's just doing the pleasantries and stuff. Uh, and it, at one point, he says like he believes in uh, you know he does like little gags about like you know all all the Americans would be jealous of how beautiful you are and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, that's what's going to end the war early, because all the American yeah. women are going to get jealous and end the war, so our men go back home. Yeah, you know, yeah. solid patter. Uh, makes a nice little speech with some good patter in it. But, but Jamie, what does he forget to do? Well, you see, at one point he says that he's a great believer in American and British supremacy. Which is all world supremacy, I should say. Which is already yeah. quite a dodgy opinion to state. But, but, uh, but from the perspective of the time, he was supposed to say, or he should have said, British, American, and Russian world. Oh, of course, he should have done. That was so silly of him. Exactly. Um, so now he's in a heap of trouble um, because he's made anti-Russian statements. Uh, yeah. This is all supposed to be off the record, but he's uh, he's really scuppered himself during a time when he was very vulnerable, anyway. Um, and th for, strangely, this one, I think he is genuinely very remorseful about. Um, Patton's own analysis of his flaws. Uh, he believes that his biggest flaw is that he can't shut up. Um, which, you know, is true and is definitely exemplified in that scene. 
But yeah. uh, he's genuinely really sad. Not yeah, he's sad about this. He really feels that he's fucked up, um, unprovoked, and that the world's out to get him. Patton's a very big believer uh, in God. He's a very pious man. Again, always in a slightly strange way. Um, there's a scene, I think, a little later where he says to lead the men in a prayer, but then he asks God to smite their enemies and destroy them. Um, so again, uh -huh. even in this particular fashion, whilst he is a very religious man, he still does it in a very violent way. Um, yeah, I think all of his uh, things yeah. are kind of violent. I mean, that's, his, that's his life. Yeah. Um, but he's, uh, because he's a pious man, he's beginning to feel at this point that God is out to get him. Uh, which understandably causes him a lot of emotional distress. Mm -hmm. uh, but it turns out that uh, his old pal Bradley uh, wants to go see him uh, in France. That's right. So he hops off on a plane with the other spare parts, as he says morosely, uh, yeah. to go see him. Uh, and he and Bradley have a lovely little talk uh, in Bradley's shed slash office. Um, and Bradley says he's got That's a right. plan. For a D-Day. But, you know, he wants Patton to have a look at it. Um, yeah. And Patton's like, yeah, but, you know, you need a screw-up screw, screw up old general to lead it. And he goes, yep, you know, Ike said the exact same thing. Uh, but during the scene... No, actually, it's a little after. Um, but we discover that Bradley has very mixed feelings towards Patton, having served under him for so long. Um, it becomes very clear that Whilst uh, Eisenhower is a big fan of Patton, no one else really is. Uh, Bradley in particular says that he, if he had been uh, Patton's superior officer at Sicily, he would have had him fired. Um, and that he doesn't really trust him, even though he does acknowledge his talent. He thinks he's too much of a loose cannon uh, yeah. to really have around in any sort of military. Uh, but, you know, Patton uh, gets, to, gets going at, on his part of uh, D-Day, and he's extremely good at it. Uh, much better than anyone sort of expected. Uh -huh. So he barrels through, uh, and then Bradley says, okay, Patton, you know, you've done your bit. Uh, yeah. You need to cut off supplies of gasoline for you now, um, because we need to support Montgomery, who's doing other stuff. Oh, Patton's old enemy. Yeah, uh, and Patton doesn't respond to this very well. He's very, very mad. But yeah. you know, there's nothing I can do. He says he's at the perfect moment, the perfect instrument. He could definitely take Berlin if he just had the supplies. Yeah, um, and I've been quite harsh on Patton uh, throughout this uh, discussion, so I should make it very clear that the film does consistently portray him as very talented at being a military officer. He is genuinely very good at what he does. Yeah. Um. So there's no real reason the film gives us to doubt uh, Patton's claims that he could make it to Berlin if he wanted to. Uh huh. Um. But regardless, uh, he's hung up high and dry. Uh, but Patton's sort of stick. Patton's thinking a bit ahead, and he thinks that despite the fact that there's no logical reason the Germans would do it, because it's winter and they don't have any supplies, he thinks they're going to plan one last big offensive. Uh, so he sort of maneuvers his troops in anticipation of that. Mm -hmm. Turns out he's right, and that does happen. Uh, so he has one last big meeting with the generals, uh, and they're all like, uh, we need someone to relieve this army. Uh, they're being completely overwhelmed. Does anyone have troops they can get there in like a week? Yeah. I can get in there in two days. Uh, and they go, Patton, that's ridiculous. Your men have no food and it's cold. Uh, you'll be running them dry. And Patton says, they're my men. They'll do what I tell them to. It's not because they like me. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, the men do that. They go about it with a smile on his face. Uh, they very genuinely seem to like him. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes up the Snowy Mountain Pass. Last week I talked about how I like snowy cowboys. I like snowy armies too. Snow, it's cool. Snow is cool. And it's very this cool. is where he prays for good weather. Yes, that's the prayer, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so he it's quite well done, actually, because he's mm. praying for the good weather, and then that's, that's shown over the images of people getting blown up and shot and killed and stuff. Um, yes. And there's no there's no noise of any of those videos. It's just him praying, uh, mm. which I quite liked. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I say, the film treats... I don't know um, about uh, Coppola's or the director's own religious beliefs, uh, but the film treats uh, Patton's faith very seriously. Yeah. Uh, does buy into it as much as he does. I don't think it ever really... Whilst the, it, it's... Whilst you can definitely look at it as odd, I don't think the film ever tries to show that Hapathan's a hypocrite or mm-hmm. a pious man. Um, even though one could obviously make the argument that he would be. Yeah. Uh, depending on one's own positions on uh, military and religion. Yeah. But, uh, like I say, Patton's a very, as we said, Patton's a very spiritual person uh, in a way which is quite peculiar, but v- makes sense as an individual who is so emotionally resonant with the idea of warfare. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's a very interesting film. He's a very interesting man. Uh, the character they created. But this Indeed. is the hour. Uh, they win. Which, they win. Not to spoil the ending of World War Two for anyone, but that's what happens. He wins, and then you see all the Nazis killing themselves and burning all the papers. Yeah. And they're like, God, that goddamn Patton, he really showed yeah, he, us. Um, exactly. Ah. And I think that's true. I think the the German high command had a lot of respect for Patton in the same way that he had a lot of respect mm-hmm. for them. Well, I think in that kind we might as well talk about way. this now because um, it seems that the sort of opinion of Patton in real life was that Eisenhower did quite like him, although he definitely thought of him not as a man for a grand strategy, but just like if you gave him a simple instruction, he would do it better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, it does seem that the British and French really fucking hated him. Yeah. Um, or at least thought he was an idiot. Um, yeah. That's Hitler seems to respect him. I think there's a quote where, like, apparently he called him a damned cowboy general. Uh, that seems that seems told. like something Hitler would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very unpopular outside of America uh, in real life. I suppose that would make sense with the character in the film. Uh, he's yeah. Really, he's he's the Americans American, uh, which of course means he would be repellent to anyone else. Uh, that's true but yeah Um, yeah. so yeah they win the war and then Mm -hmm. they are partying uh, in Berlin Uh, but the Russians are the ones that are really partying because they're the ones that took it first of course Um, and whilst the film doesn't show them taking it it does show them partying and it shows Mm -hmm. all the Americans sitting looking very grumpy Uh, and then after they've partied a bit, the Russian general talks to his translator, and the translator says, um, the, this Russian's inviting you for a drink to celebrate the war. And Patton says, you could tell him he's a son of a bitch and he can go fuck himself, or whatever it is. And then the uh, the guy says, I'm not translating that. And then he translates it to the Russian guy, and then the Russian yeah. guy says something back, and then the translator says, he also says you're a son of a bitch. And then Patton says, well, let's drink one son of a bitch to another then. And then they have a nice little drink. And it's very weird mm. that um, they're shown to hate each other so much, but also they drink together. 
Yeah, it's quite nice. I've definitely seen that scene somewhere before, and it was bothering me intensely. Was Uh, it in Patton? 1970 film? The film I was watching right then? No. Yeah. Um, Sometime before that, it's really been bugging at me ever since I've seen it. Because I've not seen, other than the first scene with the flag, which I'm sure I've seen, you know, in like a clip clip or something. Uh, I've definitely not seen any of the rest of this film yet. I've definitely seen that exact scene. Who knows? Um, it it feels like a stereotype. It feels like it could be yeah. a stereotype film. No, no, I definitely seen that. Is that anyway? Um, Passon. This is sort of. This sort of begins the I would say epilogue of the film. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of Passon in a world without war. Yeah. Um, uh, and this is where he says the thing yes. I was talking about earlier, where he says, "I I can I can go to war with the Russians, I, guys. I can I can I can I can fight the Russians, and 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 I'll make it think that they did it." Uh, and then everyone says, "No, the the, the war's over. Uh, we're recovering." And he's going, "No, we're 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 getting all the the Germans to give all the weapons in and stuff. We should be using them to fight the Russians." And everyone's like, "Patton, calm calm down. Uh, you know, the war's over. We, we've won. It's all good." And he's, hmm. and then he he foreshadows a bit, and he says that we're going to end up fighting the. Uh, Russians anyway, um, yeah. whether he actually said that or whether that's a 1970s edition, who knows? But uh, yeah, I think it's a very good microcosm of this character because it is it's a completely insane thing to say at the time. It's very clearly Patton sort of desperately pleading, yeah, uh, reality at large to let him return to the one environment in which he is comfortable. Yeah, uh, at you know, enor- at what would be enormous human cost, and yeah, yeah is right. He, um, he is right. He's predicted what's going to happen, and yeah. I think it. I think it's also interesting, and in it answers the question that is both literally and sort of rhetorically asked throughout the film, which is, "What's he going to do when the war is over?" Um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people actually say, um, "He needs war," and what's going to happen. And I think even without those questions, you still, as the audience, imagine it, and this kind of shows you for for a brief, however long it is, ten minutes in this sort of epilogue or the ending. You kind of see what he's like without the war. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He desperately desires more, and yet he almost gets killed. By a I'd say ox um, cart. there's a runaway ox cart, which is quite strange in its own way. Because I think I think the point of that scene, uh, you might disagree, is that I think it shows Patton becoming aware of his own mortality for the first time, but very paradoxically, as soon as the war is actually over. Yeah, um, as a sort of moment of vulnerability, which is quite um, strange in its own way. And of course, he did die in quite a, a sad way. Uh, I don't know how he died, but it was very soon after the war. He was but... driving in his car, mm-hmm. uh, and he said, let me find the quote, because it's quite interesting. Um, he said something about uh, war and like the cost of war. Let me find the quote before I uh, butcher it. He said, accident and death. So he was on a pheasant hunting trip with uh, some other general mm-hmm. uh, and he was looking at derelict cars along the side of the road and he said, and I quote how awful war is, think of the waste uh, and then moments after he said that he got, his car was in a crash with an American army truck uh, at low speed everyone else was fine but he hit his head on some glass, uh, began bleeding and then he was paralyzed for 12 days and then he died um, and he said that this is a hell of a way to die, uh, and then he died in his sleep. Um, and obviously, he wanted to be—he wanted to die at war. So, yeah. Um, I think the ox cart is almost 
I don't know why they wouldn't show his death, but I think it's almost uh, a prelude. A prelude mm. to that. Actually, uh, I don't know if you noticed, this film has a sequel. <clears throat> I did know it. It has a made-for-TV yeah. sequel from 1985. Yeah, last shows his actual death. Uh, but I think that's fine. I think... I'm not... assuming at the time of this film, they didn't know they were making a made-for-TV sequel. Yeah, no, I'm, I was just kidding with that. But I think it works to just allude to... Not even allude, just show Patton's impending mortality. And, like, as the audience, we know that he's not going to die in another war. Um, it's obvious... Like, even if we didn't know anything about his life, I certainly didn't. That that's not going to happen for him. Um, yeah. So just this idea that you know his, his death is coming, even if it, even if he'd lived till you know uh, nineteen seventy or whatever, he would still die, and it would yeah. not be the glorious death he seeks. Yeah. Um, well, he was. I mean, he he died at age sixty, so yeah. You quite have to think. The, I I want it is quite young, but for a soldier, it's quite old. I wonder if he. Maybe potentially he he wanted the war of the Russians because that would be his opportunity to die in battle. Um, I wonder if he was almost disappointed that he didn't get that warrior's death. Oh well, definitely. Uh, what do you think? The warrior's death. Uh, yeah, I definitely think that's what he wanted. Um, yeah. So so do you think an element of the wanting to go for war of Russia could be um, that he knows his time's coming and and he wants to go out that way? An ele- uh, definitely an element, but I do also yeah. think that even if he thought he would live forever, he would still do the exact same thing. Oh, abs- I, I absolutely, but I think there's, yeah. there, I think there's definitely an element of that. Yeah, yeah, um, certainly the desperation. Um, <clears throat> the final interview with uh, Patton, where he's just sort of wandering around on a horse in front of some reporters in a slow circle, mm-hmm. uh, looking very morose, um, and they ask him a bunch of questions, baby. Um, one of them is about the fact that Patton hasn't gotten rid of Nazis in the German government yet, at least not all of them and Patton says that he's not going to do it until they get in replacements um, which again I think does show Patton's complete disinterest in uh, the political motivations of the war he spent the last three years fighting Yeah. Um, and then he says that you know the Nazi party is basically the same as the Democrat and Republican parties uh, yeah. something which the, is the final straw. He finally loses favor with uh, Eisenhower, and this is where he's completely tossed out of any sort of army command. Um, the more interesting uh, part of that interview scene, though, uh, is that the reporters talk about how there's going to be wonder weapons. Uh, is, they're talking about V2s in the interview, but obviously, you know, subtext uh, it would be nuclear bombs. Uh, and Patton says that he's doesn't. He hates the idea of one of the weapons, basically, because there's no generals, no heroics. Uh, if you're just pressing the button and killing civilians, then there's no honor in battle. Yeah. Which I think very much trades into this idea of the film that Patton is sort of the last vestige of a dying era uh, in terms of war. Um, mm. It's a very common theme for these incredibly long epics. Um, I don't know why. It's kind of interesting. I'm sure someone's written a book on it. Um, Probably. Probably. Yeah. But it's just, you know, it's what it is. There's obviously a great deal of cynicism at the time towards uh, nuclear war. Um, yeah. It's very rare, obviously, that uh, one chapter in history ends so conclusively as another begins, but obviously the end of the Second World War very much is that. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Bad. Cool. Shouldn't have happened. Um, 
So the final scene is Patton walking his dog Willie in the countryside, and they recall the Roman general's speech. And he says that, uh, well, you know, a Roman general returned gloriously from battle, but, uh, you know, one of the captured men, uh, a slave, uh, whispered in that conqueror's ear that all glory, glory is fleeting. Yeah. Which is his final note. Uh, just to confirm to anyone who was watching that Patton is not happy. Um, but apparently not enough for Richard Nixon. Yep. Good. So that was Patton. Um, that was Patton. I don't know if I made it really clear in my plot summary where I was maybe quite mean to Patton as a character, but I really liked it as a film. Um, yeah. Quite, it's, they're definitely not an acquired taste, but um, these big epics are definitely something where I need to be in a right headspace to enjoy them. Yeah. Because uh, they, can, they can be quite dry. Uh, but I really enjoyed this. I found it quite. I found it quite compelling. Yeah, I did. I liked the way um, it kind of put the men that were in charge of the various armies in competition, um, and but yet still showed the battles and stuff. It was kind of a cool mix, interesting mix. Yeah. Um, in terms of both generals that are on the same side and and how you saw Rommel and stuff, do you mm-hmm. think that was cool? Um, yeah, I liked it overall. Uh, how yeah. how do you feel it compares to the other war films that we've watched? Vastly better than Too Late the Hero. Um, yeah. To such an extent that comparing them is disgusting. Uh, what other war films yeah. have we done at this point? Catch, Catch 22. Oh. Um, there's a lot less cynical than Catch 22. I suppose one thing yeah. I was going to mention is that um, obviously the context of Catch-22 and um, uh, M.A.S.H. is that they're um, war films that are very much more, that are very cynical towards war itself. I would actually say that this film is not that. Uh, no. I don't think one would walk out of that film and think, ah, isn't war terrible? Uh, yeah. Human suffering. Uh, I think all war films, obviously all war films uh, are in danger of glorifying war to an extent. But I think particularly because this film is filtered through Patton's own viewpoint, which is all about his own glorification of the war he's fighting. Yeah. I think that's an inevitable consequence. And I think also, I mean, it, it is kind of, he is kind of like the leaders that you see in Catch-22. Um, yes. Very much so. Very much, yeah, very much so, actually. Yeah. Um, I think, some uh, talking about Francis Ford Coppola's work, I think um, General Patton is very much a template for uh, the character that will become uh, Colonel Kilgore uh, in Apocalypse Now, um, where it's the, a film which is much more freely critical of the American military establishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, same sort of uh, zeal of the drama of it all. The thing I... Because th- watching this film in a historical vacuum, it's a very interesting and quite compelling portrait of a deeply flawed, uh, but also uh, quite brilliant man. But yeah. I keep thinking about it is that it was obviously released in a historical context where America was fighting a deeply unpopular war um, that obviously needed, or at least was in dire need of massive public support. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel that the fact that a film that was released that so glorifies war, even if it's quite critical, it nonetheless presents a very positive face in the Second World War. I feel it's not a coincidence. No. Yeah. Um, and I also think watching it, uh, if, like, 
I could imagine both a student hippie protester and also an ultra conservative, like old businessman watching this film at the time and both thinking that it was fantastic. Yeah. Definitely. I don't think it's a film that takes a harsh stance on this issue, which I suspect is why it had so much mainstream appeal at the time. Uh, whereas it something like well. MASH, yeah. I suspect that uh, old businessmen would have been less happy with. Yeah. Um, the other war film we watched is The Conformist. Oh, yeah. That's a much better one. Actually, it's a very similar film, I suppose, but obviously with much, much less of a budget. Yeah. I can't uh, really remember The Conformist. I feel like I yeah, forgot. You kind of bounced off it. Um, yeah. I like The Conformist a lot. And I would say it's probably a better... It is a better film than this, actually. I'll go that far. Uh, yeah. Really on a visual level. I think also on the character level. Right. Um, Fair enough. Although, again, they're both... Uh, they're both portraits of deeply flawed men during wartime. I suppose yeah. the performance is much, much harsher to its protagonist. Uh, for the very yeah. understandable reason that he's a Nazi. By, by a lot, yeah. Um, so I suppose in that way I'd perhaps find a more uh, engaging film in a way. Because I find, uh, you know, these uh, cinematic explorations of evil uh, yeah. perhaps more interesting. Um, but certainly they're both very successful at what they do. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. Um, uh, you got anything else? Uh, I had a few random faults. Oh, yeah. Um, another piece of background about this film, which I think is quite important to note, is that it wasn't made with his family's permission, Patton's. Oh, interesting. Uh, which I think is kind of weird and disgusting. They, they tried several times. Um, they couldn't do it while Patton was alive, and then they wanted to do it uh, with getting the rights from his widow, but his widow said no. So yeah. the widow died, and then they immediately moved to try and make it with the rest of his remaining family. And they also said no. Right. So they never got access to General Patton's diaries. Uh, this is almost all based off of um, accounts of people around him. Uh, yeah, I think... Lieutenant Bradley, who was a consultant on the film. It's based uh, off a couple of biographies as well, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... um which I think one of the interesting things I found about this film uh, is that we very rarely see Patton doing anything other than performing to the people around him in his own way. Yeah. He says that he that someone says I don't men don't know if you're pretending anymore or not, Patton. He says it's fine as long as I know. Yeah. Um, but obviously we're always seeing Patton from other people's point of view, and part of me was thinking I think that's probably is partly an uh, intentional dramatic choice. But I do also suspect that maybe part of it comes from the fact that obviously the stories we know of Patton are all from other sources because they didn't, just didn't have any information about his private life. Yeah. Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, it was directed by Franklin Schaffner. Uh, do you know what else he made? Uh, I don't. He made Planet of the Apes. Ah, cool. Uh, and he also made Nicholas and Alexandra. Which was oh. another epic. Uh, it was produced by Sam Spiegel, who produced a lot of famous. That's meant to be shit, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and it was it was a critical failure. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and it was produced by Frank McCarthy, who was secretary of the general staff of the United States Department of War during the war, uh, mm. and spent twenty years trying to get the film made, as as you were saying, with the family and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wait, what did you what did you say his job was? He was. Secretary of the General Staff of the United States Department of War during World War Two. Okay, yeah. I mean, that sort of ties into what I'm saying. Like, I think you could be a big old fan of war 
can still very much enjoy this film. I don't necessarily know if that's the strength. Yeah. Uh, uh, he was Frank McCarthy. He was a he became a film producer. He was linked to the army. I don't really know what the secretary of the general staff of the United States Department of War does, but it sounds like quite an important role. And then he made a bunch of war films as a producer. Um, so yeah. Oh, that's right. Um, you know, right. Exactly. Um, oh, we've not talked about the the person that plays Patton is George C. Scott, who yeah. Do you know who's in? He... Uh, his face looks much more familiar now. I'm seeing a black and white picture of him. Oh, he he's... was in Exorcist Free. In what? The Exorcist Free. Oh right, he was also he was in, in 1984's Christmas Carol. Yes, he was also in Doctor. He was Strange... in Doctor Strange Love, which is what I know him from. Yeah, that was I, that was exact, my main one. This um, is basically the exact same character, isn't it? Yeah, uh, only more crazy. Uh, presumably, he was cast in this following. Um, yeah, how good he was in that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Oh, I like. That. Yeah, he was also in Christmas Carol and The Exorcist Free. So very very cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, actually, I suppose. Yeah, you know what? The existence of General Buck targets and. Something about that makes me feel better about this film, I suppose. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Just that there's something. I don't know. It... Somewhat mixed feelings on this film, and yet I don't. It's strange. I suppose just. I feel this film does glorify Patton a lot. And. Even the. But then it doesn't shy away but... from the flaws, but then I'm like, hmm. Does it. Does it. Does it sort of make you think. Um, that maybe it's a bit more self-aware than it initially seems. If you, if you kind of look at it, of the background of him having played, having played the the character that's obviously very satirical in Doctor Strange's yeah. Love, and obviously, you one would assume quite heavily being cast off of that, and um, maybe yeah. it kind of makes you think a bit more that maybe the film is is. I mean, we we've never said the film is necessarily glorifying Patton, but maybe it no. kind of kind of makes you sort of confirms that that the film it's not i think the film's sees him in a certain way the film's attitude towards Patton is that it's very critical of him as a person but is genuinely in awe of his spirit and talent yeah which i think is fair i mean if, if it's accurate that's a, that's a fair and like nuanced enough yeah. opinion to have um i suppose that i just yeah yeah, yeah. cool that's the opinion uh, I have mixed feelings, but I think you're supposed to have mixed feelings coming away from the film. What would you rate it? I, I'd rate it a buy. Um, oh, really? A buy? Would you not? Well, I don't know. I was going to rate it... Um, what, seek it out to watch it, but don't pay for it. But now that you're rating a buy, I'm thinking, would I rate it a buy, actually? I do not regret the £3.49 I spent on it. Yeah, do you know what, Jamie? I'm going to say buy it as well. Yeah. Look at us agreeing. <laughs> but I'm going I'm saying buy it with but but tentatively. I'm tentatively saying buy it. Um hmm. but I'm definitely saying if it's available, if it becomes available on Amazon or Netflix or anything, then absolutely watch it. Um yeah. but do also buy it. Uh, buy Lawrence of Arabia first if you haven't seen that. Sure. It is a much better That's what I should do. <laughs> That's what I should do. Um Oh, yeah, one last thing. Um, this yeah. got a nomination for its uh, soundtrack. 
And I didn't like it that much. I don't get... A lot of these films that got big nominations for soundtracks in this time seem to have one really good... Perhaps seem to have one big theme tune which they, like, pre show again and again. And I don't even I, like the one big theme tune for this film. I honestly can't even remember it, so that's yeah. Shoji. Um, I'm just looking at Frank McCarthy, the producer's movies, uh, or his mm -hmm. films. He also made one about MacArthur, General MacArthur, which is just called MacArthur. And is two hours and ten minutes long, so I wonder if he thought, um, you know, I wonder if he thought this was so successful that he had to make another one. Yeah, I mean, I th I can definitely see how you'd think like this is this is a replicable success. Oh, uh, just because I did the research, um, yeah, or, uh, accidental research. Uh, I saw a copy of Mad Magazine uh, that was released the same month as Path in the Film, and. Right. It parody of it as like it's comic um and the comics two jokes that i could see from the pages they'd reprinted and uploaded online uh were that uh Patton swore a lot which he did and that the film is really boring right. uh, so if you want to know what the cool edgy kids thought of Patton at the time that was it not fun yeah i think it thought it was a bit dull cool but, you know fair Fair enough. Um, yeah. I can see why one might say that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Right. Are we done so? I think we're done here, kiddos. Uh, see you it's next very week. Late. We'll be back to yes. reviewing films that actually came out uh, that week. Oh, it's almost one in the morning. I'm very We'll tired be watching uh, Fellini's uh, made-for-TV documentary uh, about clowns. So, enjoy that. <laughs> Bye. Bye.